Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The parable of the Good Samaritan is one that I would imagine is probably familiar to many of us. And even if you haven't heard the parable up until today, I would imagine that you've probably heard things like Good Samaritan laws in our country. right? These legal protections for people that uh, offer aid, even though they may not be professionals or trained to do so, but offer aid in emergency circumstances. And that's what we have in this story, right? An emergency situation. A man has been beaten, stripped, left for dead. A situation without any hope. And many times, I think when we hear this story, we hear Jesus saying, go and do likewise. And we think, well, okay, I need to keep my eyes and ears open for those emergency situations. We hear the story of the Good Samaritan And we're driving down the road and we're wondering, should I stop to help that person on the side of the road that's having car trouble? We may ask ourselves questions of, if there is a car crash by me, would I stop to make sure people are okay? Or in a store, if somebody's having health complications, or if I think they might be, I'm not sure, would I go and ask and see, would I call for help and stay with them? These sort of sudden, immediate emergency circumstances in the whole scheme of things, are probably not that frequent. And many of us may never come across a car crash or somebody who has just been beaten or the like. But I also know some of you in your line of work, that is what you dealt with all the time. You were inundated with those sort of sudden emergency circumstances because you worked with the few that were in those dire moments. But when we think about the larger community around us, the cities around us, for instance, and we look at the vast majority of people, we probably say they're not in any real dire or dangerous need at this time, right? Whatever problems they may have, they can probably figure it out on their own. Not everybody is in these immediate dire circumstances. When we start to think like that, we are evaluating people based on our perception of their need. And this is actually okay at times, but we have to recognize that we have some sort of threshold in us. We see a situation, does it cross our threshold for emergency? If so, we might intervene. If it doesn't, it's not an emergency. I don't need to do anything. We decide who is in need based on our perception. And again, don't get me wrong, this is important at times. (laughs) If you come across an emergency And there's first responders, professionals there. It's actually better for you to evaluate and say, I'm not going to step in. I'm going to stay out of the way at that time. But I think we evaluate people in more general terms this way as well. We interact with neighbors, our community, on this idea of, well, I don't see any need. Therefore, there is nothing that I really need to be doing. In our day-to-day life, in our communities, it may not be so obvious who is lying, beaten, stripped, half-dead, and without hope. Because you see, it's not always an immediate sudden moment that brings about a dangerous situation. These things can happen for a lot of various reasons, and they can even grow over time. The transgender community in our country has been experiencing an increased amount of violence over the years. On top of that, I also came across a study this last week indicating that over 80% of people in the trans community have struggled with suicide in one way or another. 
The study indicated that that had to do with acts of aggression, great or small, from people around them, from rejection from family, from a lack of a sense of belonging. I came across an article uh, this week, a news article, talking about um, there was eight people in a house hiding in another country. And, and when I say hiding, not like, oh, they're worried they might be seen. They were worried about stepping outside those doors because they were convinced they would be beaten or killed. And they probably weren't wrong for thinking so. They were without hope and in serious need. Other times, these sort of circumstances, they don't come from animosity from one person to another or from one group to another. Sometimes sort of emergencies, if we want to call them that, can grow out of ongoing circumstances that just slowly suck the life out of people, leaving them half dead. Things like inflation, difficult access to good health care, generational poverty, which often revolves around aspects of owning property or housing, which can be very difficult for some communities due to things like redlining, increased isolation due to the pandemic, and loads of other factors, right? It may not look like a, a sudden emergency, a sudden crash, if you will, or a beating and a robbing like this man in this story, but it nevertheless is a very dangerous situation. People may not look half dead on the side of the road, but they are being robbed of life and even abandoned at times without hope. The religious leader speaking with Jesus asks a question. Who is my neighbor? That's a barriers question. It's involving an evaluation of, well, who is in and who is out, right? Because those that are in, well, I can love them and care for them, but if there's people I don't have to qualify as my neighbor, I don't have to worry about loving them. Right? Who is my neighbor? But Jesus challenges this man's understanding of the neighbor by inserting a Samaritan as the hero of the story. Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. They hated one another in general terms. One thought you were supposed to worship at Mount Gerizim because that's where God promised to be. They even have a different set of scriptures. And the Jews believe you're supposed to worship in the temple only. And sometimes when people would go on pilgrimages to those various areas, they would heckle one another. And not in a playful way. They found disgust and hatred towards one another. And sometimes that jeering would even turn into violence against one another. These two groups were hostile towards each other in many situations for social and religious reasons. And yet the Samaritan in this story is more faithful and compassionate follower than this Israelite religious leader because the Samaritan has mercy on another. You see, at the end of this parable, Jesus flips the question that was asked. The man had asked, well, who is my neighbor? That's an evaluation question. It allows us today to still look at people at times and even think, well, do I think they're in need? Ah, maybe not. I don't need to do much for them. Maybe the people I see aren't in real need, therefore they don't qualify as being my neighbor. And anything that they may complain about, well, it's kind of more of their problem or their fault. They need to figure it out on their own. We are, if we function that way, answering the question, who is my neighbor? And we're putting up barriers and more walls. But Jesus asks a different question at the end. He doesn't answer who is your neighbor. 
Instead, he flips the question and he says, which one was the neighbor to that one who was half dead and hopeless? Which one was the neighbor? The man responds, the one who had mercy. And I don't know, maybe he just can't stomach saying Samaritan still. (laughs) Maybe he's still disgusted and hateful in some way. But he says, the one who had mercy. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Going and doing likewise is not simply keep your eyes open for those sudden emergency situations. It's about being compassionate so that other people can thrive. Being a neighbor is about being a community together so that humans can live and thrive. And this is a fascinating thing for me when it comes to our reading from Leviticus, for instance, today. This passage was all about loving your neighbor, or as Jesus puts it, being the neighbor. And notice in that account that there's not necessarily these sort of sudden dire circumstances. Instead, it says things like, don't pick all of the food out of your fields. Instead, leave some of the food for those that don't have, for the poor, for those that have fallen on hard times of the marginalized. Imagine a society in which when you fell on hard times, the expectation is that the community will see you and come around you to support you. That's the expectation, is that if that would happen, there would be ongoing care. This portion of Leviticus, it mentions do not rob, which again, we see a robbing in this parable, but then it qualifies it further. Don't hold wages of your workers overnight. This may not translate as easily today because of the way that they did work and payment in those days, but it deals with things like economic justice, people being paid fairly both in time and amount, things today like even including health benefits and the like. It includes also working against things like generational poverty or how those things came about and what can be done about them today, right? Providing for people. Loving your neighbor involves working towards fair justice in court systems. It means advocacy judicially, economically, socially, and for those who are in need. For all people to be fair, but especially as God has an eye towards the marginalized, the poor, the widow, the fatherless, the orphans, the foreigners. I don't know about you, but again, when I think about that sort of community, that sounds hopeful, right? That sounds hopeful. People organizing themselves in a way so that even if life was being slowly sucked away or even if something happened that would just immediately sort of drained them of whatever they had, that the people are there with an expectation of mercy and compassion. That sounds hopeful. A community where people can live and thrive together. No one being left for dead, but rather being offered support and care. A community of hope. In the news article I mentioned earlier, there is a group called Trans Rescue that is working out of a portion of Europe, a small group that started. But they've grown over the last number of years, and in the article it mentions that they receive four calls a week from different people around the world who are in need. And sometimes they simply offer an encouraging word that those people are not alone, but other times they actually do work to try to get them out of those dangerous situations even transport them to a different country so that they can live. They are being the neighbor, right? They're being the neighbor. 
And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Break down walls and barriers that we may put up between ourselves and others that prevent us from loving others and grow by the Spirit and being a community of hope. This is why Jesus came. To offer hope to everybody. To offer life to those who were left half dead or those who were overcome by death. And when Jesus showed up, he didn't show up and kind of evaluate, all right, who's my neighbor, who fits in, and who is out? He saw the need of all humanity, and he was the neighbor in compassion to us all. He gives his life on the cross, and in the crucifixion of his body, in his body he is tearing down those walls of hostility that we have put up between ourselves. He gives his body not for a few, but for everyone. And it is his act of love that refuses to label some as neighbors and some as not. It is his act of love that is compassionate for every human being. That again is the source of this power that breaks down our barriers and fills us with love. It is in this love that we live today as his people baptized into him, filled with his spirit through his word. And this love is what creates hope in us as a community. Because the love of Jesus is one that is working to make humanity thrive. And this is what we see again, in a sense, in this account from Leviticus. A glimpse at the desire of God for a thriving group, a hopeful community, a people who care for one another not only when there's an emergency, but also are organizing and standing together in a way to help prevent dire and dangerous circumstances as well. Knowing they can never stop all of them, but nevertheless working in a way in love to offer hope. It is a glimpse into what Jesus is doing and what he is going to accomplish. The promise in Christ is that when he returns, humans will live. They'll thrive. All those stripped and beaten, all those who've had their lives drained from them, all those left for dead and who have been overcome by death will be made alive again and restored. They'll be fully cared for. And there will not be any possibility for them to be taken advantage of or mistreated because everyone will be living in the love of Christ. This is the hope that we have. We live in the love of Christ, and in that love, we are a community of hope so that we and the world experiences Christ through us and through his people around the world. We are a community of hope. And I pray that God would continue to foster that love and hope amongst us by his spirit. That the act of Jesus becoming our neighbor would continue to define us and our behaviors towards one another as a congregation, as he has been doing for years now and towards other people, that we would ever learn to be the neighbor to others because we all need hope. And the people around us, in our communities, out in the world, right? they all need hope as well. Christ is that hope, even through you and me by his mercy. Now may the peace that passes all understanding guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.